Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friend, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. Um, We are at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center. We're developing the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Center. COVID slowed us down a little bit here in Chicagoland, but hopefully uh, we're going to be getting going on our new indoor dog park. We have um, a dog daycare in development and swimming. So who didn't, what dog doesn't love to go swimming? Actually, I had one once that didn't care for it all that much but yeah Blanche did not like water you know she's a golden retriever yeah. the only golden retriever who doesn't like water right. i've actually seen that ask people wondering what's going on my dog should love this right so anyway um today we have a few things to talk about one of the things um that's kind of interesting is new studies that are showing the correlation between your health and your pet's health it's something that we see in the animal hospital all the time And it's surprising how many people will say from a holistic perspective, you know, they can't find that kind of help even for themselves, much less for their animal. And they're always asking you, hey, could you treat me too? And no, I can't. Yeah, all right. (laughs) But they're really interested. And the other connection that's interesting between an owner and a pet is the emotional one. We've been preaching this from the rooftops for many, many years. And it's interesting because we can actually show you some test results to prove that the way you handle your emotions or your just general emotional state goes into your animal. doesn't necessarily come back out the other way. Sometimes it does. But anyway, we're going to talk about that. We've got some viewer questions today as well, and you're free to submit those. Our group is called Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson on Facebook. I can let you in if you want to join it really quick. We also have our regular Facebook page for uh, our podcast, which is the same name, Holistic Fed Advice with Dr. Jim Carlson. I should put my name in there. But anyway, so our viewer questions include um, a cat that chews on cords. The owner is super frustrated and probably kind of concerned about this cat. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Electricity can definitely do some damage. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good. There's a lot of reasons for cord chewing, though. And we're going to try to help her come up with a way that uh, she can help her animal with that. And then another viewer question um, from Nikki. Nikki says that, okay, she takes her dog to the groomer or brings it here to Riverside and we dremel the nails. However, if she tries to do it or tries to go anywhere near her dog's nails and tries to trim them, it's over. It's not happening. The dog just won't have any of it. So um, we're going to try to help her too (laughs) through that process as well. So, and then the world's longest tongue for a dog, huge. And today I'm going to try to use some skills that I'm trying to master on (laughs) Zoom, as you can tell, I'm not very good at it. And uh, try to share our screen with you because this dog's tongue is crazy. It's It's super, super cute. So there's a movement in veterinary medicine and human medicine called One Health. It's sort of like this global worldwide transition that's going to be happening and I mean, it's, it's just sort of an ongoing process. So starting out kind of slow and kind of gaining momentum over the years. One Health. So tell us just a little bit about what that is. Well, the approach to One Health is that um, a lot of times, well, you know, at least 70% of the times we 
we as humans share our very similar disease processes to our pets. And so the idea is that, well, if they're living with us and they're sharing our same environment, are there things that are similar that we're both being exposed to that have an effect on both of our health? Uh, many times I've had owners uh, that we diagnose their pet with diabetes. They say, well, my husband has diabetes or my wife has diabetes or you know, um, a family member has diabetes. And they live in the same environment. Um, so it, more and more we're seeing that. So the, the question is from the veterinary and medical community is uh, when we're dealing with health, you know, pets lifestyle and healthy pet lifestyle is what our practice is all about is that is the environmental lifestyle of the owners and the pets similar? Can we talk mm -hmm. about similar diseases? Um, there's been many um, in that report, there was a couple of cases where they, uh, the, the cat had sinusitis. Um, the person was a smoker in the household. Mm -hmm. And so the owner uh, and the veterinarian talked together and actually got the owner to stop smoking. You know, it was healthier oh, really? for the owner. So, we, <laughs> so one health, is this like some combination, like where they're only going to have doctors later and there's going to be a difference between it. There won't be a difference between a human and a vet. That's the focus. You know, maybe so we someday. Someday, it's it it hasn't really been worked out, and it's it's a difficult thing to work out in terms of of uh, you know HEPA laws and stuff like that. And um, so, there's been a suggestion from a veterinarian in Toronto to actually work with your your uh, the, the your own physician mm -hmm. uh, to talk about uh, different health aspects that maybe both the you and your pet are sharing. All right, so. Um, now, we're looking at a couple of different things when we're talking about people kind of coming in looking like their pets. So there's maybe some allergy, immunology components to it, but often you just see it in basic grooming. So 20 years of animal hospital, I've actually at times seen some animals who are better behaved than their owners mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> in that in that time process, like the time that people trim their nails, their toenails in the waiting room of our animal hospital and the dog sat there politely waiting for somebody to come and get it for the same <laughs> procedure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one was an interesting day, I would say. Um, and then, uh, so tell us just a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on seeing people coming in and kind of looking the same and having the same health issues as their animal. Well, if we talk about the disease process. So say that there's, um, in one particular case that I had years ago, and, and even most recently as well, is, is gastrointestinal problems. And uh, the particular pet was having GI disease. Um, nothing seemed to be helping up at first. And I approached the owner and I said, um, are you worrying about your pet? She said, oh yeah, I worry about my pet every day. I'm always watching it and wondering if it has diarrhea. And uh, I said, just for fun, let's, let's refocus. Let's think about something else uh, for 24 hours. And she called me back the next day and said the diarrhea disappeared. <laughs> so I knew mm -hmm. that there was a connection back then. That was, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, but most recently, uh, we've had very similar cases where the, the actual disease is being driven by the environment. It's not the owner's fault by any means. And, no. and it's a delicate subject when you're talking about you know, are you smoking in the house? Mm -hmm. Oh, I may be the cause of my pet's problems. Uh, that's offensive, you know, and so it, you have to 
you have to allow the owner to really talk about it or initiate it mm-hmm. uh, because uh, then they feel uh, offended or maybe uh, feel to blame for their pet's problems. Well, but if they, if they initiate it, then they're part of the solution. Yeah, definitely. It, and it really is a solution helps. and it's to help both of I you. I think some of the, over the years, some of the cases where like an owner will come in and you can tell that maybe things aren't going so well, the owner's getting older, those kinds of things are going on. Um, maybe they acquired this animal 15 years ago mm-hmm. and their situation has dramatically changed. I mean, look at everyone's situation now. Nobody even saw it coming right. after COVID. And so when you get those kinds of people coming in and you can kind of tell that the owner isn't really all that well-groomed, you know, they've maybe made some changes in life. Um, maybe they're not feeling well enough to do it. And then they, you know, really can't care for the animal anymore either. Right. And uh, because it's the pets are living longer, it's, it becomes more difficult to take care of mm-hmm. a geriatric patient. Um, and there's so many options. And, you know, honestly, some of them can be pretty expensive. If you don't have the money to keep going like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to just talk to your veterinarian about that. So, I mean, we do see those and we see, you, you can, I mean, you know, it's not judgy or anything, but you just kind of sometimes walk in and you see, okay, there's going to be a parallel here yeah. about, you know, what's going on and how can I help this person find a solution to what's going on with their pets. So uh, definitely interesting. So to see that so many things are affecting animals the way, you know, they're affecting their owner. So starting probably with processed food. Definitely processed food. Um a lot Probably of times a big with, trigger. with mate management or maybe health management, um, we're often uh, talking about owners or pets really that come in that are a bit overweight. And then the owner says, well, maybe I should lose weight too. And it's a great win-win situation because uh, the pets and exercise and the type of diet that they're eating, uh, we, we don't want to get in that old cliche diet and exercise, but it's still really important if there's a lot of processed food uh, going into our pets, they're going to store a lot of energy. We don't realize, kind of back to the formula that we talked about in earlier shows, is to know exactly how much you should feed your pet. If you're if you're just kind of winging it or just filling the bowl up, uh, oftentimes pets do not stop at just a little bit of food. They eat more energy than they need. And if they're not burning that energy off by walking, uh, definitely can gain weight. Mm-hmm. In the Netherlands, they did this study, said pet-human pairs... And they found overweight dogs were more likely to have overweight owners. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the other thing, you know, we've been talking about for a long time is there was another study, Swedish University of Agricultural Science, some indications dogs understand the mental state and emotions of owners. Well, they have a reticular activating system just like we do. And so they pick up on energy And that energy is important because we emit emotional energy, which is unusual to the animal world, uh, but very easily picked up by our dogs and cats that live with us, even horses. Um, And uh, as as long as they're with us, especially during times of stress, which we've definitely had some stress in 2020, Mm -hmm. is that if they're connected with you most often under high levels of stress, they're going to emote and mirror the same type of activity as we do. Okay. So we can prove this. This is interesting. So we have um, an SRT program. This program, I wish I could show it to you guys. So it, uh, how many pages? It's four pages worth of emotional screenings. There are several different kinds. 
digestive system, looking through the ear, cell, mitochondria, energy, just explain what this program is really quick. Well, what it does is it, it, it basically biomaps the emotion and frequencies that the, uh, the body is exposed to. And if the body's storing this as negative energy, it's going to interfere with normal functional processes of the body. So, and, and that includes emotion. And it's interesting when you pull up the emotional, uh, you can actually go into those files and look at the emotions. And it's very direct as far as human emotion, like anger and frustration. And uh, it's not that the pets are emoting that because they can't originate emotion. But, but they're living in that environment. They're living in that environment. Talk about making people mad. Yeah, that's a very the emotional screening thing. Yeah. Is like it really makes people mad. Yeah, they say, "Well, I'm I'm not that," and and maybe you're not, but it but doesn't you don't perceive yourself to be, or you right. just grew up in a house that was like that, and you don't know any better. Right. Um, but sometimes there's I I are you seeing more emotional related illnesses and issues right now in 2020 since all this occurred? Definitely, and uh, as we get into microbiome here a little bit later. Uh, the enteric nervous system is directly connected to the stress hormones of the body and your microbiome. Is what's your, what's in, I'm sorry. What's enteric nervous system? The enteric nervous system is uh, how your brain is connected to the gut feeling, which is <laughs> so the your, gut brain, the gut brain <laughs> connection. Yep. And so pancreas, gallbladder, because it has to time these enzymes for digestion. So if you're under stress, you're not going to get the right enzymes not going to digest well, going to get leaky gut, possibly other things. Okay. Um, so there was a study done in the journal Nature, and they tested hair cortisol levels of like a human and animal pair, so living in the same household. And they were looking for, so the hair cortisol levels are kind of an indicator of chronic stress. And they um, have a strong degree of interspecies synchronization is what they called it. So there's an emotional contagion that flows from your dog or from you to your dog, but it doesn't go back. So, I mean, I think it does come out in other ways in a dog sometimes, like you just said with the brain gut health and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, but um, they did prove it. So that's pretty interesting. And I remember we talking with a trainer once that said, you know, if you're, if you're telling your dog to do something and it scratches, like say sit and it sits down and scratches, mm-hmm. it's actually a mode of giving you the finger. It says, I really don't <laughs> want to do that. So they, even though you may be emoting frustration, they may mirror that in different ways. They may scratch, they may oh, know, really? chew up your shoe. They don't, there may mm-hmm. be other things that, to, uh, to really perfect that that emotion back to you. I'm pretty sure my dog does it all the time. (laughs) There are some indications of dogs being able to understand the mental state and emotions of their caregiver. According to Therese Wren, she's a small animal researcher at the Swedish University of Agricultural Sciences. And one of her studies found people with an avoidant attachment style, meaning they kind of like run away from their feelings. They don't kind of like process them. They often have dogs who separate from their owner when faced with a social stressor. So it's sort of like what you said, yeah. except maybe um, not so vindictive. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the the sometimes it's the opposite. If we if we need companionship, then the animals will, when we feel stressed, will come over and and put our heads, you know, on their leg or something like that. But if you have that avoidant attachment style, then 
your animal isn't going to see you as a safe haven. Yeah. How they pick up on that is pretty amazing. But they did find it in the study, so I believe it. I'm down with that. Yep, they always need a pack leader. You know, they need, they're always looking for someone who's strong. And, and, and we, we aren't always strong. We don't always feel strong, especially during uncertain times. But if we can at least emote some courage uh, for our pets, they're going to feel more <laughs> you know, more likely to follow us or to follow our orders. Or and to don't you tell people, stressful. don't do anything, don't have like a big emotional thing or, you know, be angry or, you know, have a meltdown within how many feet of your pet? It's eight feet. Stay eight feet away from your pet, at least. <laughs> yeah, if you want to have a meltdown, be at least eight feet from your pet so they don't pick up on that energy. Yeah. One of the other things they've been studying too is um, the farm effect. So immunologists allergists, people like that are looking into the way like the microbes that you are around, maybe the ones you've grown up with, how that affects your allergy and immunology situation. And um, I'm from a family of eight. I grew up on a farm. I grew up around tons and tons of animals. I still have allergies. <laughs> yeah. So the, the study may not affect everybody hundred percent, but, uh, but the idea was that, um, you know, the, if the kids were around, you know, farm animals, played in the mud puddles uh, and things like that, were less likely to become allergenic because those microbes in the environment, in rural and farm type environments, actually teach the body to be more resilient. Hmm. Kind of strange, you know, how it can teach our own microbes to be stronger. Uh, but that's the case. And it kind of makes sense. You know, you think about notobotic animals, which are raised in a very sterile environment could not handle one organism without dying. Oh, really? Because the body has to become immune to things. And you read another study that was interesting. It was people who have what was like a small family. What else is it? You just told me about it. The small family. Yeah. The uh, small family, more urban environment, um, not likely to go out on very many walks tend to be highly, more highly allergenic than big families, rural environments, mm-hmm. go to the forest a lot, you know, or outside Hang a around lot. outside, Hang around outside work outside. Yeah. Uh, just have more like of a natural lifestyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're younger, you know, as we get older, you know, it's, if you went, if you were in more an urban environment when you were a child and then moved to the farm later on, it's not the same effect. Mm-hmm. You know, you have oh, okay. to kind of start off. When start you're off in childhood that way. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Okay. Um, so the number to call if you'd like to get in touch with us is 866-472-5788. Um, we have a Facebook group, which is uh, Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. A lot of people asking questions there, just inviting you to come in on that page and our podcast page as well. You can ask questions there, which is, again, Holistic Vet Advice. So there's a group and a page associated with that. Um, we have a couple of viewer questions coming up next. So um, a kitty who chews on cords, and I've seen photos of this kitty. It's very cute, really long cat, and it's a tiger cat. For me, I think those cats are always, I haven't, <laughs> he's like very busy, and they're very vocal. Does it have something to do with their breed, or is it kind of just something that comes out with the color? I think it has a lot to do with breed, because um 
those cats that that tend to chew on things would be more apt to fetch for you or do things for you or mm-hmm. want to be more engaged with what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, versus uh, like our Persians who just like to sleep on the couch you know, <laughs> yeah. most of the time. <laughs> and they dangle and they like to hold them like a baby. Right. Yeah. And you don't see them chewing on cords very often. Yeah. Well, we've had an accident at home and there's more Persian kittens coming. <laughs> I did not separate them right. It's completely my fault. (laughs) (laughs) I love kitties. Oh, I know the kitties are so great. And we found fantastic homes for all of our kitties. Oh, yeah. Very, very well loved. Okay, so um, when we come back, we're going to talk about our uh, the cat chewing on the cords. We've got a dog who cannot stand to have his nails trimmed when his owner does it. When everybody else does it, that's fine. But he's like, forget it, you're not touching me (laughs) to his owner every time. And then we're going to take a look at this tongue. World's longest dog tongue uh, is in the Guinness Book of World Records. That dog is from South Dakota. And hopefully I can share my screen and show you that. As a veterinarian, how do you see a connection between an owner's health and a pet's health? Do you see it right when you walk in the door? Does it occur to you or is it... Like, where are you at with it when you're kind of go in and engage the situation? My Just through the years, um, as many pets and clients as I've dealt with, I, I get a feel for it right away, the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. Really, the first two minutes, I can tell, you know, what the, the pet themselves, how they act, and just the interaction with owners, whether there's going to be some sort of, um, you know, health issue or maybe just uh, be able to help me understand the pet better. Because, uh, you know, the, the environment in which they live in is so important. Um, and, and we do have to talk about it. And sometimes it's, like we mentioned earlier, it's a sensitive subject to talk about what's going on in the house. But, but I've had owners approach me, uh, you know, in, in private about, well, we're really having some emotional problems. We're, we're getting divorced. We have a, a problem child at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we have a, you know, what it, it's a, a whole, special needs child kind of like or a whole like that. family yeah. family care situation yeah. that's going on mm-hmm. and, yeah. and we we can really help when we it's we're finding a solution it's not pointing fingers or creating Mm-mm. problems as much no. as we we're solution oriented mm-hmm. practice we're going to we're going to find out what's best for you i think most vets will do that you just have to be yeah. honest and you just have to be open with them about that kind yeah. of thing okay all right well we're going to start back up here again um so we've got this cat chewing on the cords. This comes in through our Holistic Vet Advice page. Uh, Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson, which is on Facebook. You can join that group. And then we also have a page of the same name. You can ask questions in either spot. And you can even ask them now if you'd like to. So I'm going to let you talk a little bit about this kitty chewing on the cords. Jessica's cat, super long cat. He's so cute. He has kind of a reddish tone to his tiger striping. He's adorable. I know she loves this cat, but she's about to go crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he looks like a brat. What a wonderful looking cat. <laughs> he's a bit he of a brat. But um, very common problem is in very active cats. If they're going to be engaged with you. Um, so let's take one of the breeds. Let's take a Bengal cat, uh, the Bengal breed of cat. Uh, very engaged. They are... Uh, a lot of them are F1 crosses on up to F4 crosses, uh, which means the Asiatic wildcat uh, has been, uh, if, when an F1 cross, it's about 50% wildcat and 50% domestic cat. Uh, very busy. They will fetch for you. They act more like a dog than a cat. 
Um, they're very engaged. So they're more apt to be the kind of breed that gets bored easily and are going to look for other things besides their own toys that are interesting. So this cat just came up. Would it be possible that it had some Bengal in it, even if it was just a cat they adopted? It's very possible. All the domestic cats have a little blend of a lot of different breeds in them. And uh, so it's very possible. She was thinking Abyssinian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, uh, very interested. And uh, they can be brats. And and it seems like... They're really busy. We had a Bengal once. I was trying to get my master's degree. That cat, I had to lock out of the room because I'd throw a little wadded ball of paper... It would fly off the bed as far as it could fly, bring the paper back, and within like 10 seconds, here she was again. Yeah. <laughs> she was really cute, but it's a lot of work. Part of the prey drive. Like yeah, it's so funny. Part of the prey drive. In, in All right, so what can we do to help uh, Jessica with her kitty? Well, the first thing that we can consider is, is just wrapping the cords in a protective coating called a conduit. And uh, that conduit uh, you can purchase at a at a can, you know a hardware store or a Home Depot, for example, in which uh, it's 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 a it's a braided cord uh, that will come up, and you can wrap it around your telephone cords, your electric cords, uh, and it's too big for the cat to get around, or at least it's very difficult for them to get to the electricity. Mm-hmm. And so that's step one. And they're decorative. You can sometimes they'll be cloth uh, like the bungee cord, or, or what do they call those scrunchies? Yeah. Uh, that you can put over the electrical cords as well. So that's one. I mean, PVC tubing is good. It just only goes so far because you're still going to have this much that has to go into the electrical outlet. So maybe that's where you can use like the parachute cord type stuff or there's that flexible stuff you put over your computer cords. Right. That can sometimes work too. But there is uh, a health component to this. There is. Okay. What is that? And uh, unfortunately, if they bite through the cord, there's definitely, they can be burns. Um, and so that's well, they can the physical aspects. But then there's the uh, OCD. But why is it aspect. doing it in the first place? Well, they're obsessive compulsive. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be health concerns as far as digestive needs that, that aren't being met, that they choose to hunt or look for something else in the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of, uh, I don't know how to put this, but instead of finding a mouse, then they would hunt for something else that was chewy? Yeah, that's something that would resemble a mouse tail or oh. or something. And they seem to be attracted to plastic. There's there's a component to the plastic. And for some cats, just like catnip, they mm-hmm. seem to be drawn to it. Um, if they pee on a plastic bag, if you leave it on the floor, mm-hmm. if they, uh, you know, you urinate on the, the next to the trash can, mm-hmm. um, something like that, they seem to be attracted to plastic. Or rubber type substance. Now, yeah, they love thing. that. Like yeah. you know, those big totes. If you leave the lid off the tote, yeah, you're gonna come back to finding. It's like sort of like a big, huge litter box. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it so, smells like something. There's a pheromone or or urine smell or something that. Oh, that and plastic that yeah. attracts them. Yeah. Okay, so chewing on plastic though is a potential for a very serious lifelong OCD type problem. Right. Explain the cat OCD. Well, cat OCD is that they they can be obsessive compulsive just like dogs. And uh, once they get the idea that that particular activity is pleasurable during times of stress, they revert back to it. It's just like, um, you know, twisting your hair or chewing on a pencil eraser Mm -hmm. or chewing on a pencil when you're nervous and stuff like that. Biting your fingernails, that kind of thing. 
So, so they can't help it. How do you know what's stressing them out? Is it just every cat's different and you're going to not really know? It's it's difficult. The The stress resistance testing or SRT testing can give us some clue if there's an environmental stressor, if it's a digestive stressor, uh, because you really have to biomap them because it's, it's harder to, unless you have a pet psychic maybe that can help you out or a cat behaviorist that maybe help with the behaviors, you really have to get into the DNA of these pets and find out because it's, it's a difficult because it's not only psychological. There was a health problem at first that became a psychological problem, mm-hmm. and so uh, and then it becomes a life-threatening problem. Mm-hmm. It's like like dogs who continually eat rocks, you mm-hmm. know, or continually eat clothes, no matter what you do. Uh, it's it's a danger, you know. They can hurt themselves really bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, OCD takes many different forms. This cat in particular from Jessica is a chewer of electrical cords. We had a clinic cat one time who, uh, sorry, I know this is gross, but humped everything. Like he would sit and hump his basket, the towel or stuffed animal in all day long. Right. I mean, it was just, it was nothing anybody did. I mean, the cat was perfectly happy. You know, it's not Jessica's fault that this cat has chosen this. So other health issues you should look into, probably dental, because there could be something in the mouth that's feeling a lot better mm. when it's being exposed to that chewiness. Yeah, the pressure on it, especially uh, you know, younger kitties as they're teething um, and younger dogs, you know, puppies as they're teething as well, they, they tend to chew on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, just the fact that there can be a GI problem mm-hmm. or some sort of upset that made that pleasurable situation, you know, make them feel better, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when they do that, then it becomes a compulsion. Yeah. So what are some of the meds you can give a cat for an OCD issue? Do they take kitty Prozac? Yes, there is a product uh, called amitriptyline, okay. Elevil, okay. Uh, that can be given transdermally. Uh, to reduce that compulsive behavior. Okay. Uh, it also is uh, an antihistamine as well. So if there's inflammation, that can help as well. Oh, okay. So am- All right. Amitriptyline is a good product. A few other things. If you can get some rubber chew toys, that might help your cat. Um, also, at the ends of, you know, if you're putting your cords through the PVC or that computer um, piping that's kind of ridged, you know, um, they also can wrap or tape together all the cords when they're coming into the outlets, maybe limit the number of rooms the cat can go to mm. make sure you've got at least one where it can stay, where things are, you know, put away or you've done the best you can with the cords and um, also playing harder with your cat can really help as well. So getting the big feather toy where you really wear them out with playing bonding, um, just getting them to be on board. They're, they're bored sometimes. Yeah, you really have to engage with them. And, and pets, you know, cats especially do sleep about 18 hours a day. Mm-hmm. But when they're up moving around, it, unfortunately, when they're most active is at night. It's not a great time for owners to be up and when their cat's prowling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having a place where they can engage at night um, is important. A little play area or something with a lot of toys. Even tunneling. Cats love to tunnel and be up. There was an article uh, a few years ago where the the gentleman actually built uh, tunnels across the roof 
or the ceiling of their house all over the place and the cats would move and zoom around. So it's just having an aesthetic or something that's pleasurable for them to do outside of there's so many catios that people are yeah. building now. They're really, really cute. We tried it. Our cats went crazy yeah. and could not wait to get back. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you going crazy? I put in all this work. The cat's terrarium. <laughs> that was an, another idea. <laughs> it was you know. failed at our house. <laughs> it didn't yeah. work out. I hope we can. I hope that we've helped you, Jessica. And thank you for your question. Uh, and, you know, you, you can always try meds. Um, and they're easy to give because you just put them right in the ear because they're yeah. transdermal. So it's not like you have to get them down their throat or anything in the morning, which is really tough. Uh, pilling a cat, super fun. Yeah, yeah, very difficult. Okay, Nikki has a question as well. She wants to know why her dog can go to the groomer or her dog can actually come here. And we'll dremel the nails, we'll trim the nails, everything is fine. But if she tries to do it, mm-mm. Well, the, the first time that you try to trim the nails or maybe the second time there was an anxiety, you know, from someone, from someone. Now it's usually from the owner because they're worried about, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. clipping the quick, right? <laughs> you never want to, so, you don't want to make them bleed. So if you have uh, say the nurse is coming over to give you a shot and really nervous, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to really want that person to give you a shot, right? You have to have a confident <laughs> person. The experienced nurse. Right. <laughs> And so that's what the little puppy picked up on is, unfortunately, an anxiety of energy. It says, I don't really know what I'm doing with this tool. And the dog goes, okay, I'm, I'm not going to let I'm you. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. I'm okay. out of this. Yeah. Even if you learned how to do it really well now, it wouldn't make a difference with this dog. It takes a lot of training if you want to get back into the groove. Um, so working with the technicians at the vet hospital or veterinarian, you know, your groomer, your groomer, those mm-hmm. type of, of professionals that uh, can help you through that, because um, you know once it starts, it's it, it it they get compulsive about it and say, "No way, I'm not going to let you do it." But if you can build confidence again and build, they can uh, feel confident with you, then you can get back to doing it yourself. Okay, um, so uh, sorry, I'm getting Moki up. I'm going to try to share my screen here with you because this is so cute. This dog, Moki, has won the Guinness Book of World Records, which is big for a South Dakota dog. Not much happens there. So, you know, I mean, so Moki wins. The longest tongue sticks out of, I think they're measuring it from, uh, oh, shoot. Sorry. I didn't know I was going to get my video. Okay. (laughs) Never mind. I'm I'm not good enough at this. You'll have to look it up. Moki, M-O-C-H-I. The tongue, I think they measure it where it sticks out of the lips. Seven, almost and a half inches. This tongue is huge. And when the tongue really gets going, it it looks like a two foot long tongue. It does. I mean, the I don't know if the dog's, I don't, I don't think the dog's still around, but they mentioned one of this long is 17 inches, but it, it And that was just like, sticking out of the mouth. That yeah. wasn't even like, you know, everything back there that's already in right. the mouth. I love dog tongues. And I love going into surgery with you because... Um, they're so cute and they're very soft and the dog tongues also um, have these little like furry things on them. Yeah. They're papillae. And so they help with the, with the taste and also feel of the food. Um, And these particular pets that have the long tongues uh, have what they call lingual hyperplasia. It's a uh, a genetic condition. The tongue isn't supposed to be that long. 
Uh, and uh, but there's some breeds like the brachiocephalic or short-nosed breeds um, that sometimes have a bigger tongue than usual because their head is smaller. In this case, being a St. Bernard, uh, definitely uh, has so a, a normal uh, jaw structure. I did it. I actually got, I got, I actually did it. I shared the screen and uh, there she is. Yeah. That's a huge. That is. I mean, that looks meat. bigger than seven and a half inches. It to really me. does. That looks like about 12. To, I, know. I don't know. It's just the angle maybe of the camera. It's absolutely adorable. It's a St. Bernard. So I guess no surprise there that she might have the world's longest tongue. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so um, kind of back on to some other stuff here. There is a disease that's kind of newer in the United States. So a lot of people might not have heard about it. It's called Chagas disease. It comes from South America. So this is kind of where it originated and it's gradually been making its way north. Chagas disease has a lot of different symptoms, but it comes from an insect. And once you're bitten by this insect uh, called a kissing bug, you can get some like flu-like symptoms where you just kind of don't feel good. Maybe you have a sore throat or swollen glands, or you're just kind of tired and then it just sort of goes away. So um, now they're seeing though, that it's not just um, animals that were, or not just people that are getting Chagas disease. Animals are also getting Chagas disease. That's right. And rural, it's, it seems to be more common in rural or, or lower income populations that um, that we see it more prevalent, but it, it can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if we take, for example, uh, what would be a common scenario is that if pets have uh, have actually uh, or outdoor dogs or outdoor cats, for example, uh, maybe stay in straw bedding or bedding of other animals, and uh, the Chagas beetle, uh, basically the, the Mexican kissing beetle is, mm-hmm. is the main thing that carries it, uh, carries a, a protozoa called Trypanosoma cruzi. And uh, if the, the, the bug bites the pet, it usually lays eggs next to the wound. And of course, the natural thing for a dog to do is lick their wound. So they're going to ingest the, uh, the eggs and they're going to hatch in the system. Mm. So they infect cells. Mostly uh, the main cells are going to be the heart cell uh, and, um, and also the intestinal cells, but other cells in the body and muscle but uh, mm-hmm. there's going to be other cells so as well. So there's long-term damage from Chagas disease. There can. And uh, once it replicates, it replicates so much that it causes cell to burst. And then these little creatures can get into the bloodstream and ca- really wreak havoc. Uh, fortunately, there's, well, there's three stages. The acute phase is when, uh, when it initially happens, it, it can be very, very sick uh, and, uh, and have major symptoms right away, or it can be very mild symptoms. Mm-hmm. The latent phase may not occur for up to four months. And uh, the chronic phase is then after they feel the effects of that acute phase, then they can't get better from it. They, they can't clear the organism mm-hmm. and um, it, it's more difficult to treat then, but it's harder. You, there's no, you know, outward signs at first to say that, okay, my dog has been bitten with mm-hmm. a chaga bug. It's going to be more uh, through the diagnostic effort of our pathologist when we send mm-hmm. a blood test in to do check the morphology and see if the actually the the protozoa is in the bloodstream um so it's difficult to say whether they've it mimics a lot of other symptoms of a lot of other diseases right how would you really know it's, i mean you your don't. animal's covered in fur how do you know it's been bitten by anything that's right i mean it can look <laughs> that's like it's a tough one yeah and it's, it's new and tough. emerging so not everybody 
even knows what you're talking about. If you say Chagas disease, I don't think many people have heard of it. And here's no. a map that I've, uh, I hope I've shared my screen. I'm not quite sure I did it right, but um, hopefully I did. But anyway, this one shows that it is becoming more prevalent from the East Coast into clusters of different cities, Chicago, Texas, a lot in California and coming up into Washington state. So pretty much every state has been touched by this disease. Mm -hmm. And it's just uh, something new. And a lot of people are going to have to be veterinarians included as well as human doctors to have to be clued into, you know, what's happening in this situation. So Chagas disease, um, something to watch out for. This is a kissing bug. I thought I knew what they looked like, but you really have to go on the internet and really look at those and see what they are. Make sure they're not in your house. This is one of those situations where cleanliness, it's going to offer you some protection, right? Mm -hmm. Not completely 100% because nothing's 100%. I mean, Chagas disease, a kissing bug can come anywhere. They found them all the way north. So um, they are, you know, around for anyone to uh, come in contact with at any time. It doesn't really matter where you live or what kind of socioeconomic class you are, this mm -hmm. can happen to anybody and it is so, and now happening to dogs, that's where, you know, uh, our concern is. Yeah. And they can, the, 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 the beetle itself can look like other insects. Mm -hmm. So it does. So you can't tell, really tell the difference. Is it a squash bug? Right. Is it a, you know, it's got that kind of flat kind of broad bodied look to it. Yeah. That long sort of the same thing. that comes out and, if you if you find one that obviously if you find a bug that looks weird, you know have it checked out by the, by the insect people because they can they can tell what it is and let you know for sure. Especially if you find ticks or other bugs or or things on your pet, you know that you're not sure of. You know have it checked out. Don't right. don't, don't wait because it uh, it could be something more serious. You don't want to be part of the statistics. You know even though it's a rare disease. Um, you never know. You could be part of the percentage and say, well, it could only happen in 2% of the animals. Well, you could be at the 2%. So always check it out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, you just never know. And with it, not only just for, you know, a dog's perspective, but obviously for an owner perspective, um, there's could be some serious problems later in life coming out of Chagas disease. So they're getting that one medicine, to, you know, where both could be affected. Medicine? The one medicine again, where oh, yes. both can be mm -hmm. affected by the one health, the same disease. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Happens. It, it happens all the time. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can get from insects. I mean, we're talking Bartonella. I got that. Um, I don't know if it's from a tick bite or a cat bite. I don't know. Um, something you have to live with the rest of your life. A lot of people don't know they have it. So, the testing and things sometimes for humans, it's just not there, just not the awareness that probably needs to be there. So people, you know, understand what's uh, going on as far as like bug born, tick born, flea born illnesses. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other ones? Well, you, you know, you can, you know, of course, wild animals too. Obviously, rabies can be one of those serious ones from bats and, and other creatures mm -hmm. and things. Um, but from the bugs. And from bugs, uh, like fleas, they can uh, not only give you bloodborne illnesses, but parasites like um, the tapeworms. Mm. Ew! You know, really? So, yeah, they they do carry tapeworms, Yuck. and uh, I didn't so know that. Most of the time, the, the when dogs and cats have tapeworms, they've got it from fleas. 
a smaller percentage of the time they may have got it from eating rodent feces and stuff like that, you know, like rabbits. Gross. But, uh, but tapeworms are one of the bigger ones. Um, it, you know, if, if, we, if we have a healthy body, chances of getting infected by these creatures are pretty low. Mm-hmm. Um, the monster me show that it was on the air, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still on the air, uh, was the most often you traveled you know, out of country and came back with a parasite. Mm-hmm. We don't see it very often in this country, you know, but at the same time, um, probably one hospital uh, in each state, um, every hospital in the country probably had at least one case of a parasite-driven disease from an animal mm. of some sort. So it's it's real. Yeah. Let you know about. So and Probably more. Yeah. You know, I mean, just individual people. I'm itching. I can't help yeah, it. I just I started itching. So use, use prevention. Yeah. You know, that's the that's the best thing is heartworm prevention, and uh, which carries the intestinal worm uh, management. Uh, I was reading this. Deworming. I was reading in this group, and actually, this happened one time. So we had this lady come in, and she's like, "I have something under my skin. I don't know what it is." She's like, "No one will help me. No one will listen to me. They keep calling me crazy." Right. Yeah. And she did. She got it from, uh, okay, so what was that? It was gross. It was Cuterebra, uh, which is a, uh, a parasite that you can get from animals. Uh, what she had uh, done and is that she did a lot of gardening. And, um, you know, if she wasn't regularly bathing, you know, afterwards, the little worm right could burrow. Right after you garden, if she didn't do that. Uh, then that worm would have time to burrow mm-hmm. under the skin because it's planted on you by a fly, Cuterebra fly, and they can burrow under the skin. So and she got well, it and the dogs got it. Everybody got dog, it yeah. in the house. So so that did actually happen. And then um, I was reading on the internet some lady saying that she was trying to do holistic medicine, okay, or trying to be holistic with her animals. But she had 78 flea bites on her. And she was willing to be bitten by fleas. The dogs were being eaten alive just to avoid using a topical or standard, um, you know, flea and tick medication because she thought that meant that it was like diseased. Like it would, it would give her dog a disease. It's like, well, you're, the diseases you're going to get from that kind of thing are so much worse than what so you're, much worse. oh gosh. Yeah. You, you have to use common sense and, and using the chemicals in, at first to get ahead of it. And then detox them from the chemicals if you're worried about that. But, but don't How do you let, do that? How do you detox from a flea and tick medication or even an antibiotic or um, maybe a deworm or heartworm treatment? Some, you know, people are always yeah. looking to detox from vaccines too. Well, most of these products that are processed by the liver because it does most of the detoxification. So just a simple liver detox uh, in, in maybe short term. Uh, they've just been exposed to it one time, but it's, They've been to chronic exposure to chemicals, say outdoor household chemicals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They do have to do it over a three to four week period of time. Um, but there's different really good herbal remedies to help to drain the liver and get rid of the junk and, that's in there. Um, milk thistle is one of those. Um, the uh, dandelion root. Uh, so if you have a dog that you need to detox, what would be like your best advice because not every veterinarian is going to get the detox or why it's necessary so what are some of the kind of go-tos for you when it comes to detoxing if i'm detoxing i'm definitely going to take away any and all processed foods so we're going to go on a 
a homemade diet for about four weeks. Okay. And we may continue that, uh, but you can use a, a simple dietary plan for four weeks without balancing the diet. It's a simply three parts meat and one part uh, really clean vegetables. Um, you should use our, all organic meat, uh, even organ meat is fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're on that for four weeks. Um, I use a uh, combination, really a burdock root and uh, dandelion root can help uh, mm-hmm. to do a liver detox. Um, the product that I like to use as well is Thuria 30C. Uh, if we're using a homeopathic remedy, especially for vaccinations. Uh, but if we're, if we're talking about liver detox or internalizing chemicals, uh, like ingesting them, mm-hmm. then uh, using uh, burdock root or, or dandelion root can be, work really well. They're on the tincture, usually three to five drops a day for a month okay. uh, to help cleanse, um, plenty of fresh water, exercise. Uh, and then I usually do one fast, uh, one day fasting per week. For animal. For animal, because that uh, recruits the best cells, gets rid of the redundant cells, helps the body flush. Um, oh, really? So just giving water that day or broth is, is the best. That sounds very interesting. So tell me about the redundant cells. Well, the redundant cells are, are it, it's sort of like the lazy cells that have enough energy to keep going, but really aren't helping the body. They're, they're kind of hanging around the house. They're not really going to work mm-hmm. and, and helping out the family. You see, mm-hmm. so by, uh, you know, the body, if it's in uh, fasting mode, it's going to go, okay, I can't keep these redundant cells around. I'm just going to purge those out and the oh. strongest survive. So, um, so that's why everybody's talking about fasting as being a good option. Yeah. It recruits the best cells for the, you know, and once you start eating again, then you've got the best cells that are there, not the feeding all those redundant cells, which includes cancer. We're exposed to cancer every day, including our pets. We just have an immune system that clears them out. But if we're not, if we're giving a lot of those redundant cells, unfortunately, then uh, uh, right. there's a good chance we can get cancer. All right, guys. Well, um, you can join the discussion on our Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson Facebook page. And um, we'd love to see you there. We have a page and a group. So the group is a little more uh, able to ask more questions to get more responses from everybody else who's joining it. So, And we hope to see you there and we'll see you next time on voiceamerica.com. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson again next Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now go make some time with your best friend.